Well, Brother Keith had last Wednesday, so the last time I was here was two weeks ago. We were looking at chapter 13. And we looked at some of the things about false doctrine, how false doctrine can adapt to changing times and become what we need it to be. In good times and tough times, it doesn't matter. It can adapt. It can become all sorts of stuff, whereas truth doesn't change. It may hurt. It may sting. But it will remove the things that are bad and it will water the things that are good and it will stabilize us. And we had that over in in Hebrews 8, um, 7, 8, and 9, I think is what we were, we were looking at. We're going to pick up at verse 10 here for this one. And we're going to see some things about the city because he's beginning to talk about the, about the city. We're going to see what his uh, re- references there. Now, I, if you're up on Facebook, I put a picture there. I was hoping to get both up on the, on it, but I had to put one in the comment section. But you'll see two different ways that this uh, one particular verse is translated. One says that uh, it refers to a city, and the other one refers to the world. In fact, um, pull up that verse, what was it? I think it's verse 14. 13, 14. 13, 14. So we'll jump ahead just a little bit on it. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Some of the other translations, and usually they go one or two ways. They either go the way this one is, we have no continuing city, or they say this world is not our home. So we're going to look into which one is actually correct and what the writer is talking about as far as cities here in this as he closes out the, the book. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 10, It says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now, this certainly has reference to the sacrifices, which he's made a number of references to before. And they have no right to eat. This is kind of helping us select what type of sacrifice he's speaking about here. So just to review, I think we've reviewed this at least once before in the book of Hebrews, but we'll just go over it just again real quick. Gave you the references for it. We're not going to read them. But they're there in case you want to go back and, and look at it. The first one is the burnt offering, which is exactly what it sounds like. They take the offering and they burn it. They burn it all. And they, they burn it in the, in the altar. So in the altar at the temple, they burn the burnt offering. It's a whole animal. It's burned with fire. No priest gets to eat it. The people who brought it don't get to eat it. Uh, they don't, everything gets burned up. That's the purpose of it. The grain offering. This is an offering of fine flour or unleavened baked goods mixed with oil. A handful of the offering was burned with, with incense uh, in the altar of fire again. And the rest went to the priests. So it was a combination of places that it went. The people who brought it, they didn't get any, but the priests got a good bit of that. There's a sacrifice of well-being or fellowship offering. This one was burned in the altar of fire, or, or parts of it, I'm sorry. It could be a herd or a flock animal. And the innards, the fat, the kidneys, and part of the liver, they were burned in the altar of fire. Most of the animal was eaten. It was divided between the priest and the person who brought the offering. So some of that offering would go to the people who brought it, and some of it went to the to the priest. The sacrifice was associated with, with feasting and with 
well-being. The third one is the offering of sin purification offering. I'm sorry, third or fourth. Uh, sin purification offering. <clears throat> this dealt with the disruption in the relationship between people and God. The offering depended on the identity of the or the status of the person who was bringing the offering. If you were the chief priest, you had to bring a bull. You had to bring a whole bull for the sacrifice. Uh, if you were just an ordinary Israelite, you brought either a female goat or a lamb. And those who were real poor, they were allowed to, to they couldn't afford a sheep or a, a, um, a goat. They would uh, bring in a bird. And there were certain birds they were allowed to, to bring in for that offering. And if they were so poor they couldn't even afford a bird, they were allowed to bring some flour in for the for the offering. And that particular offering was was burned in the, um, I'm sorry, I want to make sure I read that one right. Uh, well, that one we're going to read about anyway, so that's the, the only one we're going to read on. on. Uh, the final one was the guilt offering. And this one dealt with a distinct category of wrongdoing that disrupt, disrupted the divine uh, relationship between God and us. It was unintentional um, desecration of something sacred. This is the guilt offering. It was prescribed sacrifice was a was a flock animal. And the uh, just like the sin offering, the innards were burned in the altar, and the animal's flesh was eaten by the priests. So of all these, the first one, the burnt one, was all burnt in the offering. The rest of them were uh, parts of them were were burned, and parts of them were not. We're dealing with the fourth one because that's really what Hebrews is dealing with here. So let's go over to Leviticus chapter six and verse twenty-four. We're going to read this. This would be about the sin offering. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both <clears throat> scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. So in this one, when you brought this particular offering in, the, um, the priests were allowed to eat it except one time a year on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, when this offering was brought in, the, the, the blood was taken and sprinkled, but the body of the animal was taken outside of the city and burned. It was not burned in the altar of fire. And it was not eaten by anyone. Any other time of the year, they could eat it. The only time they could not was on the Day of Atonement. So when he's speaking about an offering here, the only possible one he can be speaking about is the sin offering on the Day of Atonement. Because it's the only one that meets the qualifications. And so let's just read that verse again in verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Those who serve the tabernacle, they didn't have the right to eat this. Now that we're talking about 
in the Old Testament, they couldn't eat this particular sacrifice. But in the Old Testament, those people couldn't come in and eat this, this sacrifice. But he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Let's go on to verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. There is only one sacrifice that this is done with, and that is the Day of Atonement and the sin offering that was there. They would take the bodies and take them outside the camp and burn them, but the blood was used to sprinkle. Now, of course, Jesus' blood, His blood was sprinkled and was uh, was helped uh, us to be purified for the Day of Atonement and so forth. So these particular ones are killed outside the city and burned outside of it. So he's giving you the history. Now these folks are real familiar with it because they've been doing it and now they're getting pulled back into the sacrifices. So he's referencing this just enough so they know exactly what offering he's talking about. We're talking Day of Atonement. And this is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ came to fulfill for us so that we don't have to do sacrifices anymore. Verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Now here's where we're breaking pattern. Because what happened with the Day of Atonement, with the sacrifice that was brought in, is that the, the um, whatever was being offered was killed in the city, in the, in the temple. The blood was poured out and that was taken into the, into the uh, holy place. That's the one time of the, 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 one day of the year that they would go into the holy place. And this blood was taken in. But this one sacrifice was not burned in the altar in the, the temple. It was taken outside the city and burned. So he says, Jesus suffered. And look how he, he mentions this. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Well, now hold, hold on just a minute. The sacrifice he's referring to, they suffered, they were killed inside the gate. And their bodies are burned outside the gate. But what he's saying here is that Jesus was killed outside the gate. That's breaking the pattern. Now he's intentionally bringing this up. He wants them to see this. Jesus, when he was, was, was crucified, he suffered inside the gate. He was beaten. Much of this stuff was, was that he was, he was beaten in the, in, inside the city. But he didn't die. The animals died in the city and were burned outside. Now Jesus suffered the, the, the beating inside, but the true suffering that he went through for us was done outside the city when he was on the cross and the sin of the world was put on him. So he's, he's looking at this way. Jesus was taken outside the city, outside the gate. And that's where he was nailed to the cross. And that's where he hung and died. And the sin that God, uh, the sin of the world, God put upon him there. So he was not killed exactly like the Old Testament sin offerings. Because he was killed outside the city. And the Old Testament offerings were burned outside the city. His body wasn't burned. His body was buried. So there are some differences here. This one, this is, he has all this for, for a point here. Let's go on to verse 13. Therefore, 
Let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Now here's where the difference comes in. This is what he's saying to him. He says, up till now, the animals were taken and they were inside the city and they died inside the city. Jesus Christ was taken from the city, outside the city, and there the sin of the world was put on him and he suffered on the cross and he died. So there was some suffering in the city, but the majority of his suffering was on the outside of the city when he uh, was on the cross. These folks are being tempted to go back to the law. What they're being tempted to do is to go back inside the city. What he's saying is, don't go in the city. Go out. But if we go out with Jesus, there are people who are putting pressure on us and we're, we're, we're feeling the pressure. We're feeling, you know, that relatives, people, they don't want us to go in this particular direction. They don't like us going in this, this way. You, you'll see this with, with people who are in some type of religious uh, group. Then there's no life in it, but they, uh, there's pressure. There's family pressure to stay with it. Now my dad had that. He was, my dad was German Catholic. Now they're, they're uh, going to church for them. And I don't say this about all Catholics. I just say this about, about the ones that I knew there. Uh, most of my dad's family, we didn't have too much to do with them. But most of my dad's family, their, um, their Catholicism made no difference in their life. They didn't change any way that they lived. They lived a certain way, but they were in church on Sunday or they considered that this is a way of life. And so my dad got saved. Remember, he was growing up Catholic, but he got saved. And he announced it to his family. His bags were packed, put on the porch. He was kicked out of the house. You see, because uh, German Catholics is very strong. It's much like Italian Catholics. It's, 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 it's not just a religion. It's part of your... Your culture, your, your life. So when he rejected that and went to the Baptist church, whew, that was, that was a little too much for them. But, but the Catholicism that my German family, my dad's German family held on to didn't change their life. They cussed up a storm. They cursed God. They, uh, they lived like the devil. Well, some of them did anyway. I don't, can't say about all of them. I, <laughs> I just know some of them did. My parents would tell us about some of the things that they were, and didn't really have us have a whole lot of contact with them because of the way they conducted themselves. I think one of the last family gatherings that I remember was a wedding of uh, one of my dad's relatives. And um, I have still one of the few things I have vivid memories of when I was when I was younger. And I remember, I think we were in the backyard and uh, of uh, somebody's house and uh, they were uh, in the, in the back and, and uh, drinking uh, beer and, and stuff like that. And, uh, I just remembered that, and my parents just got so aggravated at the whole thing. They just uh, we're, they, we just left. We just went. I think that's one of the last times that we had, had done that. But they just didn't the way that they conducted themselves. My my parents just didn't. We're not. That's not what we want to do anymore. We don't like to have that that kind of thing go on. So we didn't have a whole lot uh, going on. So again, not all Catholics live that way. I'm just talking about the ones that were in my family. It didn't make an impact on their life. Here in Hebrews. There's a lot of people, the Jewish faith did not make an impact on their life, but they religiously followed it. And these particular people were putting pressure on these Hebrew Christians to come back into the city is what he's talking about. They want you to come back into the city. 
They want you to come back to the sacrifices. They want you to come back to the temple. They want you to come back to all that ritual stuff. But he says, bear the reproach of Christ. He was taken outside of the city and the reproach was put upon him. Now bear the reproach with him. There's going to be a lot of people who don't look on what you're doing favorably. And we've certainly seen that. You know, if you didn't have a, a, a strict religious background, I mean, I know some, some folks that were Jewish and when they became Christian, they were uh, kicked out just as much as, uh, as, as anything else. And uh, you'll, you'll find that with other religious uh, things as well, especially for people that the religion's not making any impact on their life. It's just uh, something that we do and that's not, uh, that's not helpful for them. But here in this one again, therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp. See, Jesus, he's saying Jesus, in this scenario he's painting, Jesus is outside the camp. He's not in the city. He's outside the camp. And he's got a reason for this. Got a reason for bringing this in. Let us go to him. So the Hebrews were leaving Christ to go to the city. He doesn't want them doing that. Don't leave Christ to go into the city, to go into Jerusalem, to go to the temple, to go to the Levitical priesthood, to go back to the sacrifices. Don't do all that. Stay with the reproach. And then verse 14 kicks in. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Now the people who put world in here say we seek the world to come. And you can see how that can fit with some of the scriptures. But I did some looking up on all this and I checked out all the Greek words that I could on this. And city does not mean world. It means city. It is talking about a, a city with walls. <laughs> it is not talking about a world. So the, so that's certainly not there. For we have, for, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Well, in the book of Hebrews, he talked about a particular city that was coming. And so does the rest of the Bible. It talks about the new Jerusalem that comes. It's a city that's not of this world. It's built. It's ready. But it's not here. It will descend and it will come down. For we have no continuing city, but, with, but we seek the one to come. So he's basically saying, don't go back into this. Now, no continuing city. Uh, um, religions, not Christian. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm not talking about um, going after Jesus and believing in the Son of God and having faith in Him. But religions, religions, religions that give you a set of rules and regulations. Not life, just a set of rules and regulations. Religions are associated with cities. The Jewish religion is associated with Jerusalem. The Muslim religion is associated with Mecca. The Mormon religion is associated with what city? Salt Lake City. Scientology, L.A. and Hollywood. Hinduism has their, what they call their capital. No, it's, it actually comes up as, and I, I try to make sure I pronounce this name right because I'm not real good on the, all these ones. Varanasi. V-A-R-A-N-A-S-I. It is in India. And they consider that to be their capital city. Could be. Yeah. But that's, uh, but if you notice that just about every religion has a city that it's associated with. But he's saying this. Christianity doesn't. 
It is not associated with any city in this world. It is associated with a city that is not of this world. And it is the only one that has a city not of this world. I never had even gave thought to the fact that religions have a city. But so many of the, the, the religions have cities that they're associated with. Now, they it's not one city that they're in. It's just when you think about it, that's where their headquarters is. That's when their base of operations is, or whatever it might be. They have a, a, a place. They even get into Babylon. But Babylon has a, is a home base for religions as, as well. In fact, the end time religion will have its home base there. It will be associated with Babylon, even though it's uh, in other parts of the, of the world as well. But the Christian religion, the new, new covenant, is not associated with any city except for the New Jerusalem, which is not here. It's not of this world. And it will eventually be coming down. So if you see any other translation, but for we are, he, for we have no continuing city, but seek the one to come. Those other translations are basing it off of something false. This is not what he's talking about. He is talking about a city, not a world. It is true we are not of this world. And there's other places in the scripture that do support that. But not this scripture. This is not what he's talking about. To go back to the ways of a city is to leave the ways of the new covenant. Don't go back to the ways of the city. Don't go back to the ways of something of this world. Stay with what God has put in place with the new covenant. Now think about this. Let's go back to that verse... uh, Verse 11, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Do you remember all the rules in the Old Testament? Do not drink the blood. Like that was, you were not supposed to drink blood at all. And a lot of the reason for not not eating the meat that was sacrificed to idols is because they didn't bleed the meat. And so when you ate that meat, you would be eating some of the blood. And you'll see that theme throughout the Word of God. Do not drink the blood. Very emphatically. This particular offering, it is very emphatic. Do not eat it. I don't care if you're a high priest. I don't care if you're a Levite. I don't care if you're a regular Israelite. Do not eat the meat. In fact, take the whole thing after we're done with it. Take it outside the city and burn it. That's a whole lot of meat that's just being burned. And if we had our people today that like to, uh, you know, environmentalists and animal, what, seeing all that meat burned, they would be up in arms. Why isn't that being used to feed some of the homeless or some of the uh, starving people or whatever it might be? But God was very emphatic on this. Now, keep that in mind and now think over to the New Testament. When Jesus came out and He's teaching right towards the end of His, his ministry, he taught a particular taught a message that said, "Eat my flesh and drink my blood." Now he preached this to a people who've been told for thousands of years, "Do not drink the blood." In this particular sacrifice, you're not supposed to eat the meat. Only one. All the other ones, somebody's eating the meat somewhere. Not this one. Because God set it up as a type until Jesus Christ came as a sacrifice and then He came in a new covenant and He set up something different. 
You see, this is not something of a city on earth. This is of the city that is up in heaven. And when he instituted drink by blood and eat my flesh, this is something brand new and it's hard for a lot of them to hear. But he was saying is we have a new thing going on now. And it will totally do away with what you have been used to. On the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice that is making the atonement for sin, you're not supposed to eat it and you're certainly not supposed to drink the blood. That particular blood was sprinkled. And of course, he took his blood and he sprinkled it on the altar. He went up to heaven and all the things that our our temple was, was patterned after, he went up to the real one and he offered his blood in the Holy of Holies. And there from that point on, he came back and he said, this is what you're going to do. So you see, when he took his people up there in the, in the, in the upper room, they weren't going to do this right away. He showed them how to do it. And then after his resurrection, and after he took the atonement, took the blood, put it on the, uh, uh, offered it for atonement. After that, they did the Last Supper. They did what we call communion. And they did it in remembrance of Him. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. It was a t- something completely new to them. And for the New Testament uh, saints, there's a lot of Jewish people that had a hard time with this feast of theirs. And we saw even in the book of Acts and some of the epistles, some of the persecution that people went through because they didn't understand this that they were doing. So all this is specifically for the Day of Atonement. This is what it is pointing to. Let's head on back over here to verse 15. Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. You see, once again, he's going back to the, to the part that he, he, he was hitting here pretty good in chapter 13. We are priests. We are involved in priestly ministry. Just like the priests in the Old Testament were in, once they went into priestly ministry, they were priests all the time. They were always in service. They had a retirement age, but they, they worked hard up until that particular time. I believe it was somewhere around 50, if I remember right, that they, they were retired, but they started young and they worked constantly. And uh, there was a lot of work to do. There's a lot of bodies of animals to haul around and, and uh, kill and bleed and all the different things they had to do. Plus, keeping the place clean and cleaning up after all that blood. I mean, it's just... <laughs> it kept them busy. But he says, Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. We've got whole songs made about the sacrifice of praise. That we are to make the sacrifice of praise. More people would rather sacrifice lambs and bulls than give the sacrifice of praise. More times people would rather give what they want to give than what God asks to give. You know, we haven't taught on this for quite a while. But uh, remember, we went down to uh, Winter Bible. And Brother Hagen was, was teaching on that, uh, that part about clapping in church. And, um, just because he taught it and said we were supposed to go with it, I was ready to go with it, but I did some study and we came back. I taught it to you for a couple of weeks and, uh, we don't go over it all, a whole lot, but, uh, we, uh, 
Of course, he wasn't saying no clapping in church. You know, sometimes you, people clap to the beat, and that's fine. And even if he was teaching that, it was, wasn't it. But people like to give a clap offering. And there's no place in the Word of God where it says to give a clap offering. No place is to say clap to God. You're applauding God. That's ridiculous. But you see, we'd rather do that than to do what it says. The Word of God says give a shout. Well, that's uncomfortable. I don't feel like shouting, so I'll just clap. Remember what happened in the Old Testament when Cain decided, I don't want to give that, I want to give this. And God didn't accept it. There's a whole lot of people I'd rather give what I want to give instead of what God asked for. God never asked for a clap offering. Not a single time. But people still like to give it. You know, I, I, I get amazed that I even talk to some of the Raymond people that uh, uh, leaders and when we run into them because we would have uh, we would go to different places and see Raymond pastors and um, people heard the same message we did and leading their, their congregation let's give God a praise offering let's give God a clap offering and everybody just erupting and, and the pastors too and I'm thinking you heard this and yet you could, and uh, I, I talked it over with one of the higher ups in there. I, I, I sat him down and I talked to him and I says, uh, what about this? Why is it that, you know, people are ignoring, because brother, I mean, he was, I've not heard him too firm about too many things, but he was pretty firm about that. And I understood it once I studied the word out and saw it. I understood why he was firm with it and why it was important. But um, he, he, was, he was pretty firm, more so than anything else that I could think of uh, in up uh, before he he uh, passed away and and died, he was, this is one of those things. I said, <clears throat> "Why why is it that this is going on?" He said, "Well, we don't make a big deal of it. If uh, they decide to, then they decide to. If not, then they they don't." I said, "Man, I don't understand that." Uh, but um, you know, my wife and I we we heard it and we had utmost respect for Brother Hagen, and so all we needed to do is have him say, uh, "You ought not to do this." <laughs> and that's all we needed to hear. Because he never said anything, you ought not to do this without good reason for it. He didn't uh, mess with a whole lot of the other pity, pity, uh, just trivial stuff. He didn't, he didn't mess with that. But you see, we'd rather bring to God sacrifices that he doesn't ask for. And it's uncomfortable for me to shout in church. So I'm not going to shout, I'm just going to clap my hands. Because that's more socially acceptable. You go to a ball game, people can shout. They'll give a, they'll give a shout. But in church, nah, we get a little comfortable with that. So, um, if you ever, if you ever missed that, uh, recommend Brother Hagin's book, Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. And um, that's and actually he brought that out not in the Winter Bible but in the camp meeting. And it was extremely supernatural the way it came. And then, uh, if, you, if you want to read that book, you'll get the the whole uh, ins and outs about it. Um, but it moved me. Yeah, we just heard it secondhand. <laughs> we heard it secondhand from him in Winter Bible Seminar. Uh, the first-hand part was, was uh, over the camp meeting in the year before. Camp meeting is usually in the fall, and that winter is when we, had the, when we heard it. But therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Now again, this fits in with our verses we've been talking about before. Rejoice in the Lord. How's it go? 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is what we're supposed to be doing, but I don't always feel like it. Because sometimes I'm feeling down. And sometimes I'm mad. <laughs> and, and sometimes I'm hurt. Sometimes I'm offended. And I don't feel like giving the sacrifice of praise. But he didn't say that. He says, therefore by him let us continue to offer the sacrifice of praise. So if you follow the example which he's using, he's, he's comparing us to priests. Can you imagine if a priest is on duty and somebody brings a sacrifice? I don't feel like doing this right now. You know, I don't, I've done enough of your sacrifices. I'm not doing your sacrifices anymore. What if they did something like that? That wouldn't go well. <laughs> if we let anything get in the way of our praise, we are not fulfilling our priestly duty in the new covenant. He says, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. So in case you were wondering what the sacrifice of praise is, here it is. The fruit of our lips, not our thoughts. You can be thinking great praise things, but that's not it. It's your lips giving thanks to His name. That's what you got to do. Now, people want to do other things instead of the, the sacrifice of praise. So instead of the sacrifice of praise, I, I don't feel like doing that. Uh, when we come together for worship, people don't want to, I don't want to come together for, not you folks. You folks come out on Wednesday night. Of course, you're, you're here more often than, <laughs> but just generally, you'll notice that in the church of God, that, well, you know, why do I have to go to church? I feel like sleeping in today. But there is a, there is a call for us to come together and to worship together. Well, I can worship at home. Sure you can. But there's still a call to come and to worship together. And we're supposed to come and to, and to worship together. And we have to be careful because sometimes people can, oh, I'll come out to church, but I'm going to be a parking lot attendant. I'll be outside while they're doing that worship stuff. I'm going to go over here and do this ministry. I'm not going to get involved in all that worship stuff. Don't be doing that. When we come, to, you got to come together and worship. You got to be a worshiper. We got to make sure that we offer the sacrifice of praise in our times of prayer. Don't be coming to God in prayer, spending all your time complaining. Tell Him how bad it is, how hard it is, how much you've done. No, come in there and give them sacrifice of praise. It's not that the praise cost us something. It's that the praise, instead of bulls and goats, is what we bring as a sacrifice. And I'm a priest who brings it. So as the priest would bring the bulls and the goats and all these things as sacrifices, I come and I just bring my sacrifice of praise. I bring it when I come together and I worship with the church. I bring it in my prayer time. And the words that I say in prayer. I do it with the words of my mouth. When I'm going on down the road. In my car. What are the words that are coming out of my mouth? Even our inner thoughts will give, our, our mouth will give voice to them. Make sure that they're good thoughts. We were, we were sitting around, um, up in my daughter's 
son-in-law's house last night. They're putting eggs together and all that other sort of stuff. And they had praise music on. And uh, Sister Ento, she's over there and she starts singing away to, to the things. And she goes, this is why I can't have this music on when I work. <laughs> she says, I get too involved. And I start singing and, and praising. And they can't do that at work. <laughs> so she leaves it off. <laughs> but that's, that's good. But you see, we, we want to give, give praise to it. Give, uh, put our mouth to it. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. When I go off and I start gossiping, I am no longer bringing the sacrifice of praise. When I go off and I start murmuring against people in the, in the body of Christ, I'm no longer bringing the sacrifice of praise. I'm desecrating my altar where I'm supposed to bring sacrifices from. Don't do it. See yourself as a priest. And you are in that ministry all the time. A priest in the Old Testament did not stop being a priest. They were always a priest. Verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So not only is there a sacrifice of praise, but there are sacrifices and I'd start doing good things for people. When you're uh, you're down at the Wawa, getting your coffee, your coffee, not mine, <laughs> and and you go out there and you decide to hold the door for somebody, is that doing something good? Yeah. When you smile and and just try and cheer somebody up and give them a nice good morning, says this is uh this is doing good. Find some things to do good for people. The enemy is always sowing into us how we can do something less than good. He's sowing thoughts in us that someone's against you. And then trying to get you to have some actions that are not good. But you're a priest. You're a priest of the order of Jesus Christ. And you're in that ministry all the time. See yourself as a priest. He says, do not forget to do good. And to share. Here he told you about what to do with strangers. Make sure you, you treat them nice. You don't know. You might be entertaining an angel. Don't forget to do good. And to share. Boy, I tell you what. The enemy likes to get you to not share. No, this is yours. Don't you give it up. You hang on to it. For with such sacrifices... God is well pleased. He's not pleased with bulls and goats anymore. He wants praise. He wants people doing good. He wants people sharing. These are the sacrifices that God is well pleased with. So if we are a priest to God, and we're still supposed to bring sacrifices, this ought to be top number one priority in our day. How can I bring sacrifices to my God today? And when somebody comes... And offers you an opportunity to share. Glory to God, I got an opportunity to bring sacrifices to my God. With the words of my mouth, I can utter praise. I bring up Jesse all the time on this, but I don't know of anybody else who just, uh, whether he's behind the pulpit or not behind the pulpit. He's the same guy. Now, I've met, we've met him a couple of times and I uh, got to talk with him. And he is just the same guy 
in the back room before the service. <laughs> I see his out there on the stage. Just happy. Just glad. Just trying to bless everybody he can. And that's how we ought to be. Bringing that kind of a sacrifice. Don't be bringing some kind of sour face. Bad attitude. Woe is me. Don't be doing it. You are a priest. What happened to priests in the Old Testament who didn't treat the offerings very well? Remember with Eli's sons. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. No, no, I want to have that. No, I don't want that boiled. I want to roast it. And and they would alter the sacrifice because of what they wanted. And uh, God didn't look too favorably on that. Don't be changing. Don't be changing the sacrifice. Do what He said to do. So He gave you three things here. Sacrifice of praise. Do good and share. Three things. You think we can concentrate on those three things? Sacrifice of praise. Be, be, be rejoicing always. Don't be murmuring, complaining, griping, yelling. Certainly not cussing. Don't need to be doing that. You're a priest. But do not forget to do good, to share. For with, su- with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And then he goes on to another verse. We're not done. But this is the last one we're gonna, we're gonna look at here tonight. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. We all like that word, don't we? <laughs> be submissive. I remember, uh, brother, brother Keith Moore, he would talk about the class he did down at Rama. Submission and authority. They didn't have that class when I was going to school out there. It was, uh, it was after the, after the fact. They had uh, started that one up. And he said, the people come up to him and say, you know, I never had any trouble with submission until your class. <laughs> and he thought, no, you just did it your own way. You just didn't know. Obey those who rule over you. Now, remember in a, a few verses back, he talked about people who ruled over you as well. This is not the same people. This is a different group of people. Because the ones he talked about before were people from the past. These are people from the present. Now you can tell because the wording in the one before was past tense. This one is present. Look at what he says. Obey those who rule over you. Not past tense. That's to have the rule over you now. And the word rule is the exact same word he used in the verses just uh, a little prior to this. And be submissive. That's certainly present tense. You don't need to get into Greek at all to figure that out. <laughs> for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. So he says, those that are rule over you. Now, some people, I've heard they're trying to apply this to, um, to politicians and to uh, secular rulers. This verse has nothing to do with that. This is not talking about... There are some verses that talk about how we ought to deal with secular rulers. And certainly we are supposed to look at them with respect and to be praying for them. And all those things are good. But this verse is not talking about that. He says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. Your president, your congressman, your governor, your mayor, your whoever. They don't look out after your souls. 
<laughs> they're looking out some things for your physical body, maybe the welfare of the economy, um, other things in, in that area, natural area. But they're not looking out for your souls. That's not their responsibility. He's speaking about those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. So he's talking about the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists that were in their day. He said, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. So, they're not on their own. Anybody who's in those, those ministries is going to give an account to God for what they do. And what, how they're, they're looking out for the people that are, that are under them. And if they've been unfaithful in that area, we know from the teachings that Paul gave, they will incur a stricter judgment. He said, don't all you all desire to, to be these. Because they're going to have a stricter judgment than you're going to get. It's easier if you're, if you're not in those areas of ministry. But of course, if you're called in those areas of ministry and you don't get into it, that's not so good either. Just do what God says to do. We were talking about it on, on Sunday, how you can get the reward of a prophet without being one. So if you're not a prophet, you don't have a chance of getting the punishment, so to speak, of, uh, of not doing what you're supposed to do. All you can do is get the reward. That's best. That's a good place to be. <laughs> All you get is the good side, not the bad. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Now notice it says they watch out for your souls. Not your spirit. Apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets. They don't minister to your spirit. They minister to your soul. Father God ministers to your spirit. He's the one who enlightens your spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who speaks to your spirit. When you get revelation, it comes from the Spirit of God and He speaks to your spirit. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles can't speak to your spirit. Speak to your ears. Speak to your mind. Revelation comes to your spirit. What people who are in the fivefold ministry do, they speak to your mind. The Word of God says, renew your mind. That's part of the way that it is renewed is through the fivefold ministry gifts that He's given. But you can't just survive on that. You have to you have to listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. So as you're listening to different preachers, different teachers, different evangelists, or prophets, whatever ministry they might be in, as you're listening with your ears and they're ministering to your mind, your soul, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit. You see the a pastor, teacher, prophet, they can't open the eyes of your spirit. But they speak to your soul. And when you hear these things, the Spirit of God can come in 
He begins to enlighten your spirit. And when you get that light turned on by the Spirit of God to your spirit, that's something you never lose. But you see, be always renewing your mind on these things. That's why I like to continually have going in my ears the Word of God from preachers. I like to continually hear it. Because as I continually hear that, they minister to my soul. And I'm giving a doorway for the Spirit of God to minister to my spirit. It's important that you get both going on. The Word of God says, dividing that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide the soul and the spirit. See, because for us, they seem like the same thing. We can't tell the difference. But the more revelation you get from the Holy Spirit, the more you'll understand the difference between your mind and your spirit. It's important that our mind get renewed on the Word. It's important that I hear things in my mind. But revelation comes to my spirit. But it seems the more we hear with our ears, the more we minister to our soul, the more my spirit is ready to hear. If we just turn off our soul being ministered to, pretty soon our spirit starts picking up on things that are not the spirit of God. People get weird. (laughs) Don't get weird. Stay with what God says. You want to keep staying in with the fivefold ministry? Ministering to us in our ears. Ministering to our mind. Building us up there. But this is what he says here. They watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. And they will give an account. They give an account as to, uh, did, did you teach what you knew to be, tr- to be true? Or were you sloppy? Did you not check it out? You got to be careful with what the what we find out from the Word of God. Then he goes on. This is always a fun one. Mm-hmm. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Do you know that it is up to you whether the fivefold ministry has fun? It is up to you. I used to think about that when I was in um, in church, you know, because you can be obnoxious. You can be an obnoxious listener, and uh, just give them a hard time the whole the whole way. And surely you've seen some people that that would do that, and they would make it difficult for them. We were not. I wasn't at this meeting. My wife was, and she told me about it. And she went out to this place. She really wanted to hear this particular speaker came on out, and she went to a church that did stuff that. Um, well, I knew what they did, and I just stayed away. My wife knew what they did too, and she said, "I really want to hear this guy. I'm going to go and endure it." And so they did things in this church that you all would be shocked at, and you know, you 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 wouldn't do. I know you wouldn't do it, but they did. And so she went on out there to to listen to it, and and these people, you know, they were in there making sounds and uh, and doing things because some people think that if you make certain sounds while the ministry's going on, you're spiritual. They did. They thought that. And uh, we had that, uh, some of you might remember, we had that one person who came out here and um, came out for some special meetings and they were making sounds. They were mimicking somebody else's sounds they were doing, but they were trying to be spiritual. Well, we had to talk with them. 
<laughs> they didn't stick around very long. They wanted to go someplace where they could make these sounds. Um, so anyway, they did that. And this particular minister, I have respect for the minister who, who went out to this place. And these things were going on. And he just stopped. And he says, knock it off. Along, the, along those lines. He just didn't put up with it from them. Whereas other people let it go on and they saw the spiritual and they thought, well, look at me. I'm spiritual because I make these, these sounds. And I'm being very general. I don't want to be any more specific than, than this. And uh, he, just, he just, no, knock it off. You don't need to be doing that. It's, just, it's disruptive. <laughs> and it was. It was disruptive. She came back. She was telling me about it. I said, man, that was good. I kind of, kind of wished I was there just to, just to see that. That was, that was all right. But I um, still have a respect for that particular minister. And that was, uh, uh, but anyway, you know, things like that can go on. People can do things in, in a way to make it, uh, make it grievous. For that, I was in the, the church I was in for <clears throat> for five years. I knew some of the people that had gone on before and had made it life difficult for the pastor there. And this particular pastor had two assistant pastors before me who started a rebellion, and one of them was success, successfully kicked him out of the church. And. Um, Oh, I didn't know that right away. I found out about it later on. I said, man, I'm surprised he trusted me at all. Because you have two people who came on through as assistant pastor and they uh, worked ways to get you kicked out, get their own little following going on. Uh, well, well, that certainly is not making it very joyful. And uh, people can do it. We have to make sure. Let them do so with joy. There are things I can do to help those that are supposed to be watching over my soul to make it easier for them. i got to make sure that I'm, I make it easier. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't have people watching over my soul too. And I have to do some things to make it easier for them to do it and not make it a, not make it a problem. You know, some, of the, some of the people we have over the, over the Raymond churches and, and things, I was talking with the one who's uh, uh, most directly over us, and he calls up uh, different churches every once in a while and we have a little chat and we you know fellowship a little bit on the on the phone and um, uh, one time I was talking with him he says you know a lot of guys don't answer my call <laughs> they um, they don't call me back I said man that's got to make it tough he says yeah <laughs> you imagine calling a bunch of people and they don't want to call you back and they don't want to have any time for you. And I made it, I made it tougher for him. So I, we tried to make it, make it easier for him. So if he calls, I answer his call. <clears throat> Except I told him, if you call me on Wednesday, I'm not answering. There's a couple of times he did that. He called on Wednesday. I, I sent him a text back. I'm not answering on Wednesday. I'll call you on Thursday. <laughs> I'm not going to call you on Wednesday. So we can find other, other times to do that. And other people that were in, in leadership in Rama, I try to make sure they have a relationship with him talk to him every once in a while but in doing so you know if I call him up and I just start complaining about how rough it is how tough it is and I'm not making it easy for them they're going to say oh man that's Steve calling we don't I don't got time for that so you can you can make it easier you can make it harder he says let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you if we make it difficult for those that are supposed to be watching over our soul if we make it difficult for them, 
that's not going to help me. You know, if I, I, I know that there's, there were people, <clears throat> when I was the assistant pastor, and there were people, I saw them coming. Dear Lord, dear Lord, <laughs> I'm not the pastor. I cannot say the things to them that I would like to say. But they're going to come over here and they're going to try and, <laughs> and do things and say things. And um, they took some of the joy out. Brought in some grief. We got to make sure that we don't do that with, with the people that were there. We want to make sure that we're, we're a blessing. I thank God in this church we have way more people that are a blessing than are anything else. It's just, it's just so much fun. I like to uh, get in the back of the church and even just a few minutes I get to say hi to people on the way out but I look forward to it because the people are, are full with, filled with joy. If people get here early so that we stay after here on Wednesday night for a while chatting, oh, it's always a good time. We have a good time. When people come over for church picnics or we make it out to, to eat together, oh, it's a good time. We look forward to, to this because it brings joy. And that's what we want to do. You folks are, are people who, who bring joy. But stay focused on that. We've got to make sure because it's up to me. It's up to me to make sure that I do the things that make sure that those that are over me have joy and not grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Now think about this. Some, how many of you have ever had people in your life and you tried to help them with some difficulties they were having. And they just made it hard to be able to help them. It's not profitable for that person to make it hard for you. But they do it anyway. Sometimes you just want to say, look, if you're going to keep yelling at me when I'm trying to help you, you realize I'm going to stop trying to help you. I've said that to some people you realize I'm not going to do it anymore. Sometimes you can get through to people that way and sometimes you don't. You you realize if you make it difficult for people to do something to help you, they will stop. Cut it right off. Just like if you call up customer service and you make life difficult for them. They can cut you off. Quit it right there. It's not going to help you if they hang up on you. You can get mad, call whoever you want to call, but you didn't get your thing done. It doesn't do any good. So do, do things in ways that doesn't cause people grief. Here's, I just wrote the, let this for you some, get some blank space. You can write whatever you want to. But we are priests. In a priestly ministry and offer sacrifices, but not according to Old Testament law. We are priests in a priestly ministry. We offer sacrifices, but not according to the Old Testament law. Now, live accordingly. We are of a better priesthood. We have superior sacrifices. We are under the better sacrifice of Jesus Christ than the previous sacrifices of bulls and goats. We have the Holy Spirit poured out for us, which is better 
than what they had in the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews spent a whole lot of time showing this is better. In fact, better is a big word for him. Everything that we have is as good as they had in the Old Testament. Except better. And you are a priest. Thank God you don't have to be bringing the animals and killing them and burning them. All that sort of stuff. You don't got to do that. But what we got to do sacrifice of praise. Do good. Be rejoicing. Share. Share what you got. Don't hoard it up. And every day that you wake up, understand I am waking up to the ministry of a priest. I am a priest of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have called us to this high order of being a priest for you. You've told us what kind of things you want us to do in sacrifice and service to you. And Father, we want to do it. We can't go back to the Old Testament pattern that's been done away with. We can't go back to the city of the religion we got to go outside the city. And when we go outside the city and we leave what most people see as the religious things we should do to follow after what the New Testament tells us we should be doing, there will be reproach. People will say, why are you using the name of Jesus that way? Why are you living in this way? Why do you do these things? Why are you always talking about the Holy Spirit? What are these gifts? The Father, you have called us to a new order, which the writer of Hebrews has just shown us is the fulfillment of all the things that have gone on before. I thank you that we're part of this new order, new order of priests, that we are in priestly ministry, that every day we ought to be thinking about bringing sacrifices just like the ones in the Old Testament. Every day you had to think about what sacrifices are on the books for today. Every day we're bringing praise. Every day we're doing good. Every day we're sharing. Not complaining, not murmuring, but rejoicing. Because we always have the robes of the priest on. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.